ladies and gentlemen. It's been a couple of days with me, I tell you. <laughs> I am so damn tired. It is depressing. <laughs> but I still go out of bed in the morning, that's all that matters. Anyone's public game is Chuck D. Bring the noise. Fifth Element Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this is what's good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week. Uh, my week's been weird. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been weird. Um, up and down, similar to last week, to be completely honest with you. But uh, in a, like I said, the past couple of days have just been a bit of a a bit of a mess, <laughs> to be completely honest. So. Let me start with a couple of days ago. So, well, yeah, let me start with like the day before yesterday. Um, it's obviously the episode's dropping Thursday. I'm recording on a Wednesday um, and I'm, I'm thinking about Monday night. So Monday night, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm about to go to bed and I know that I have to get up early in the morning. I'm going to London, do some work and uh, yeah, I was going to do that for the whole day on Tuesday. So it comes to Monday night, I'm in bed, and I can't sleep. I can't sleep for hours. <laughs> I can't sleep for most of the night. I'll probably get, pff, at best, like, four hours, and none of those hours were connected <laughs> at all. So I had, like, one-hour intervals of sleep every time. It was just so frustrating. Um, and then there was a sudden change in my schedule, and as it turns out, I didn't need to get up early. Which was a bit annoying because I'm already up early. I'm already up. I'm, I've been up. I never went to bed. Uh, so the day started basically around, I guess, two for me. Walk dog and all that usual stuff. And I'm heading out to London uh, for the evening. So I go out. I'm heading out. It's already dark because winter's so fun, like that. And, uh, yeah, I'm doing some work, you know, getting, getting in, grab some food, it's all good, you know, progress is being made, and then I'm about to go home. Now, for those that regularly do train travel, you know where I'm going to go with this, and it's everyone's worst nightmare. So, I is about, give or take, like, quarter to, quarter to 12. I'm currently in Bromley at the moment. Which is in South London, for those that don't know. So, I'm going through London. I'm heading up to London Bridge. It's about... It's about 20 past. Or it should have been 20 past. But the train kept stopping. So, my plan was... uh, My agenda was anyway. And the only, basically, way to get home uh, was to go up to London Bridge. Jubilee Line. Boom. West Ham. Boom. Train home. Boom. Right? So I'm I'm looking at <laughs> I'm looking at my phone uh, beforehand before I leave actually. So going back to before, just before I leave, right? The the penultimate train I could have got on for one of my connections uh, was uh, like five past eleven, and at that point when I checked, it was it just gone eleven. So I had no choice but to go for the quarter two because I wasn't gonna make. I wasn't gonna make the, uh, the 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 five minute trip. It takes about ten minute. It takes about ten minutes to get to the station. So, I was like, ah, I've 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 I've, I've done the rookie mistake, and I have uh, give not give myself a plan B. Uh, you know, like hey, just a, if I miss that train, I've got the next one to be safe. You know what I mean? So I didn't have that. I removed that from myself because I'm an idiot. So I have this. I have this one method to get back home. I'm going back home. I do have a 15-20 minute cushion uh, between the 20 past arriving at London Bridge to get to West Ham and the final train apparently is at 43, uh, 43 past 12, something like that. And now this is is what I'm thinking, right? As I'm going through this, I'm like, okay, maybe I'll miss this. 
there's a possibility that I missed this. Why don't why why is there not a one a.m. Because there's usually a one a.m. There's usually like a one a.m. train going, you know, and that, and that should be that should be okay for me. But ladies and gentlemen, there wasn't a one a.m. train there this time, <laughs> so I legit had no cushion, nothing at all, uh, no plan B. It had to be that train or nothing. <sighs> so I'm on this Jubilee, Jubilee line train, slapping Canning Town. Now you know when you. You know when you kind of feel it in your bones that you're fucked, uh, but you don't want to check just to be <laughs> just so you don't want to, you know, exactly know 100% sure that you're fucked. Uh, kind of like when you don't check your bank account just because just you know it's fucked and you'd rather, just rather not <laughs> check it, just, just, just so you don't have to look it. It's kind of like that. So, you know, I'm about to arrive in West Ham, and once again the train stops. So I'm kind of just thinking I'm probably fucked. So I look at my phone and it's gone 43. And it just went literally as I took out my phone, it went boom, 44. And I'm like, fuck. So I was about two minutes late um, about that time. So what do I do? So I had to go. So I went to Barkin, um, hoping that the only possible morsel of alternative uh, was that instead of going to Fench, instead of a train going from Fenchurch, it was a train going from Liverpool Street. Now this is a this is a very I'm I'm swinging I'm swinging the defences here. There's there's a very distinct possibility that this won't happen, but I have to go for saying this is the last result. So go to Barkin, get you up to Barkin, chin the Barkin. There's nothing. It's, there's nothing on there. It's, it's just like please check for the information at this website. And I'm like fuck. So what do I do? Um... I'm chilling in the indoor bit, make a few calls, hit up my sister saying, I have no idea when I'll be home. <laughs> uh, and she's like, cool, okay, uh, you're not going to get a taxi back? I'm like, I'm not paying for that. I'm not paying however much money to get a taxi back. Like, there, there. If, if you're from Essex, you know, you, 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 you either know people or you have done it yourself where you've had to get a taxi from, uh, to London, uh, from London to home. It's it's not it's 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 not cheap, <laughs> it's not cheap. So, I'm not doing that. Honestly, I'm not doing that. So, uh, I I was perfectly willing to chill in Barking Station, uh, but then I had to get kicked out. I got kicked out around two a.m. something like that. Um, the next train was like at five a.m. and I was perfectly willing to wait. I had a few snacks with me. Um, I could have got a drink from the vending machine. I would have been alright. I had a, had a good amount of battery left, about fifty percent. I was good for about five hours. So yeah. Mathematically, it's not the worst. It's not the worst position I've ever been in. Um, Little Sims uh, from Roundhouse. Uh, that was probably the worst position I've been in because my phone was dead before I even got to Waterloo. Uh, but my phone was on at least for this. I had all day on that, so it's all good on that front. Um, so yeah, I was perfectly willing to wait, and I, and I was pretty calm about it. And you know, it's it my mistake. I should have left earlier. I should, I should, you know, rookie mistake, like I said. Um, but yeah, I got kicked out of Barking Station. <laughs> Dude had to open the gate, uh, open the uh, the uh, the shutter for me, and I had to like just uh, just mosey on out there. And it's raining, and I'm just like, shit, what to do now? So I call up, uh, so I call up a couple of people, and I'm like, I don't know what to do really, I'm just trying to think. And it's like, what you can do, what you can do. I'm like, yeah, I don't know, man, I'm just trying to figure out. Um, so one of them says, suggests just get a hotel room, and I'm like, that probably makes sense in it. So I look up a hotel room, I fork out about fifty quid for it. And I sleep about two hours. Uh, I get up at six a.m. just get the first train back, and there you go. I'm back home at around quarter to eight in the morning. <laughs> so, life lessons: uh, one, always have a second train behind the train you're you're planning for. Always have a second train. And two, <sighs> repeat number one. <laughs> So anyway, that's been that's been my past couple of days, and in the past two days, I've I've had a combined sleeping sleeping time of about maybe eight hours, maybe ten hours, something like that, in the past two days. So that's fun. But yeah, um, that's kind of that's kind of story, and I feel like feel like telling because I feel like it's going to be a short show. Um, so I thought I'd uh, have a little story time before I start the show. But yeah. That's been my past couple of days. Hope you enjoyed that. But anyway, let's go on with the show itself. Formalities before we begin. We have the email, we have the Twitter, we have the IG. And we also have the Facebook as well. 
hit up any of those for contact. Um, thanks for listening, as always. Um, I'm, I'm at the start of the year. Um, just a just a random announcement of I'm thinking of doing. Um, at the start of the year, start of next year, 2020. I'm gonna start advertising, not other people. I'm not gonna search for like ads for shit I don't care about. Um, but I might instead advertise other shows in the five VPN. Um, obviously currently have free, and obviously that's always looking for more to grow. Um, and I kind of want you guys to not just listen to my show, because well, statistically <laughs> my show is the worst. But um, I just want to like have that diversity going on where everyone's listening to all the podcasts under the five P uh, five VPN. So I might start inserting just like little thirty second clips here and there. Um, just a, it's just a thought I've had recently. I don't know if I'm gonna go through with it yet, but I thought I'd uh, tell you guys here because this, this is obviously my show, and uh, you know I always like to tell my uh, fifth element endeavors here first. So uh, there you go. But anyway, uh, potential plans aside, let the beat drop, and let's get into the show. In a week where View bans all showings of Blue Story because of a brawl including two machetes and a knife broke out in Birmingham, um, I'm, I'm kind of exhausted uh, thinking about this to be honest because it's very silly um, by View. Uh, the fact that they were under the age of 15 so they they weren't even there to watch the film. Maybe the brawl happened, okay, sure, it happened because uh, in a View. But from what I from what I've heard from the news clippings I've seen, uh, it's part of a an overall mall complex. So, with that said, why just because it happened outside of your cinema doesn't mean that it was because of Blue Story. That's absolute bollocks. Um, they were, from what I heard, they were there to watch Frozen Two. If anything, so what's the deal? Now I don't know why they have machetes and knives. That's just a whole different conversation to have. But the fact that you're cutting off a film, it and and because of this film. It's, it's, it screams fishy to me. It screams fishy to me, and it doesn't really make sense. Um, but fuck them anyway. The uh, Blue Story is doing well anyway in terms of uh, the uh, uh, weekend weekend dollar, uh, the weekend P. But um, yeah, f- fuck for you to be honest. Eighteen-year-old um, Caroline Dubois uh, wins BBC Young Sports Band Stanley of the Year. I'm gonna be talking about that a bit later. Uh, BBC speaking of BBC face <laughs> face a uh, backlash after editing editing clip of Boris Johnson, um, yeah, I think every day is just getting worse and worse, now, now the vote is simply about, like, it's not even about the exit anymore, it's now about, uh, if you vote Labour, you're, you're an anti-Semite, or if you're, uh, if you vote Tory, you're an Islamophobe, it, 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 it doesn't make, it doesn't really make sense anymore, it really doesn't make sense anymore, vote who you're gonna vote for, but bro, it's just, it's just a bloodbath out here, uh, Patrick Patterson of the Los Angeles Clippers referred to black women as bulldogs when asked why NBA players marry white women. Oh boy, this is a deep, deep, deep conversation, and I don't want to get into the deep, deep, deep conversation of this. Um, it's clearly on the face of it, but in simple words, fuck the Clippers. I hope they don't win the championship now, uh, just because of that. He did apologize, but come on. You, you said what you said, and you believe what you believe. You have a white wife, you know. And you know all the happiness to you and her, but come on, it's, come on. There's there's no need for that. There's no need to shit on black women just for whatever reason. It doesn't really. It's it's yeah. It, like I said, deep deep conversation there. And uh, lastly, George the poet rejects MBE, uh, citing pure evil of the British Empire. Now I find it funny when a politician was uh, shouting at shouting at this, going like, and I'm like. I mean, is he wrong? <laughs> is he wrong? Tell me, is he wrong? No, he fucking isn't. So, you know, shut up. Um, so, shout out to George Poe for that. Um, I, I'll probably cite that if I ever, you know, wishful thinking. But if I ever get invited, I'm like, no, not really. I don't really care. It's, it's something to be on a Wikipedia page to me personally. I don't really, I can really care less about royal honours and all that garbage. Like, it's cool if you want to go through it. And it's a cool moment for some people. Uh, but I'm not a royalist in that way. I don't really care about being a member of the British Empire or, uh, and it's literally of the British Empire, which doesn't exist anymore. It's uh, it's glorious. It's absolutely glorious. But anyway, 
So this is probably a very um, interesting uh, docket for the show. I have I don't think I've had three topics uh, of the same nature uh, this in, in this uh, in this particular uh, podcast. Um, I'm trying to think if I have maybe film or TV has gotten three one time, but um, but yeah, this might be the first time. I don't, I don't know if um, any what's good historians want to <laughs> check me on that, but. Uh, but yeah, we have three sports topics um, for this episode, and one film and TV. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of it's kind of interesting because I've, I've I've I don't think I've given sport uh, that much uh, go in the past few weeks. So you know, I thought I'd uh, make up the numbers. And obviously, and obviously, I don't plan it like that. I'm not like I don't look at equality here. You know, if I feel like talking about stuff and it just happens to be in sports, then that just happens to be in sports. And just how just how that goes, it's completely natural and organic in that way. But yeah, we start with uh, one of the three sports topics for this episode, and um, it's the NBA. So, um, in past years, uh, for those who don't know, for, in past years there have been uh, concerns about the future of the NBA in terms of the regular season specifically. Um, I think attitudes in terms of fan bases and also players as well and teams overall have kind of just their thoughts and the way they look at the regular season in the NBA, they've, they've kind of just, it's, it's been watered down. Um, most people just, <laughs> immediately as the season starts, there's already, you know, conversations about the next year, the next off season, and that's obviously not healthy. Um, maybe that's game culture, uh, game culture, I don't um, did that sound like gang culture? I meant game, G-A-M-E culture. Um, you know, when you, when I, when I pl- used to play NBA 2K, um, Sometimes you just want to skip the season and just go do the trades and stuff and all have all that fun stuff like a G, you know like my GM kind of thing, and that's kind of fun. It's enjoyable um, to do all those trades and then watch your team grow and da 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 and all that stuff. And then you don't really care about the games themselves. Most people just skip the A two game season and skip some right to the playoffs. Maybe you know everyone has their different ways, but I feel like that's how it's kind of transitioned into actual what how people consume the NBA at the moment. Um, and it's kind of unique. I don't think it's happened. I don't think it happens in <clears throat> other sports other than maybe baseball. Um, but yeah, there's it's obviously been many conversations about uh, shortening the season and uh, you know trying to put more focus on the playoffs. Obviously, in terms of like uh, uh, switching up um, seedings. So instead of having a Western Conference eight seed, Eastern Conference eight seed, have sixteen of the best teams by record. Eliminate the conference uh, element of it, but obviously that would throw in, you know, spanner in the works. Say if like uh, uh, LA had to do a playoff uh, playoff matchup against Miami, that's mad travel. And then there's another playoff game where it's like Milwaukee against Chicago, and that's barely any travel. So you know, there's not it's it's, it's kind of hard in that fashion. But any been even in that case, Memphis is actually practically in the Eastern Conference anyway uh, in terms of ge- ge- um, geography so you know I'm kind of like I don't think that's the worst thing possible you know I, I think that's something that is easy to be scared of but um, I think in practice it might not happen often <clears throat> but anyway um, there's been a recent uh, sources um, uh, uh, talk there's been talks about uh, potentially you know, uh, changing stuff up in the NBA and uh, this is what I'm getting into. Uh, so this is an ESPN article. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski and Zach Lowe um, are teaming up on this one. And uh, NBA considering reseeding conference finalists postseason playing. Um, so this is just this is just several things potentially potential things. Nothing's concrete at this point, uh, but it's kind of interesting as a glimpse into the possible uh, future of the NBA here, because um, obviously it's been the same in the past, I don't know, 78 years now, um, so, and, and now only recent, only in recent years, uh, the, the the minds have been changing in everybody's way, uh, regardless of fans, players, everybody's, everybody's like, just take us to the playoffs, and nobody really, quote unquote, cares about the regular season in a way, but anyway, let's get into this particular article itself, uh, so the NBA is engaged in serious discussion of the National Basketball Players Association and broadcast partners on sweeping, dramatic changes to the league, Calendar that would uh, include a reseeding of the four conference finalists, 30 team in season tournament, and postseason playing, league sources told ESPN. 
uh, these scenarios will come up uh, with come with the shortening of the regular season to a minimum of 78 games league sources said uh, discussions are progressing with hopes of bringing the votes at the April meeting of the league's board of governors that would introduce some if not all of these proposal proposals into the NBA 75th anniversary season sorry 75 years not 1880 that was close um, it was kind of a ballpark number uh, season of the 21 of 2021 22. Uh, league sources said the NBA still has work to do, coordinating with constituents on the myriad Im- on the myriad implications involving the proposed changes. The reseeding of teams in the semi-final round based on regular season record give- could give the NBA a championship series that includes its best two teams. WNBA has been uh, seeding teams in the playoffs without regard uh, to conference for several seasons. So there you go. Even when that said, the WNBA have been doing that all the time and from what i've seen the playoffs in the WNBA have been very high quality so and obviously most teams are not in the same place and i guess most of them have had that problem of travel um, it's even worse for people uh, for women in the WNBA cuz they don't have uh, charter planes or any of that they go literally like a normal person like economy and all that uh, so it's much different for them but if 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 the quality there has been fine, then maybe it's like I said. It's, it's, I think it's a, a bit of a boogeyman that people are trying to be scared of. Like, oh, the logistics are going to be hard. It's, it might not be. It might not be that hard to be honest. But anyway, uh, Commissioner Adam Silver has been driving this agenda of change, especially in the, uh, the in-season tournament cup modelled after European soccer of the years. Uh, the NBA is selling the idea of uh, of lucrative television and sponsorship revenue that would drive excuse me, long-term growth and combat stagnation in a rapidly splintering consumer environment. Now, in my opinion here, I don't think this is really going to fly, um, partly because I don't think Americans, Americans uh, specifically, don't really care about this concept. Um, in my mind, obviously, as a British person and as someone that has regularly digested football over the years and, uh, you know, and those kind of tournaments, uh, in-season tournaments, which obviously the most of foot, most of world football is all about, um, it's logical and it's completely fine. Um, I just don't think that I don't think the Americans will warm up to that as quickly as Adam Silver would think. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. It's uh, I think I think that's very drastic. I think that's probably the least. Uh, likely out of all of these uh, potential changes, to be honest, uh, league is working with working to make sure the revenue for teams and players with the sh- short and regular season would uh, be break even or be better initially, with significant financial windfalls in the long term. The, M- the NBA cannot implement these changes without an agreement f- with the MBPA, and those uh, talks being ongoing between groups led by Silver and the MBPA executive director Michelle Roberts in proposals that include the adoption of an in-season tournaments. Uh, and postseason play-in, the traditional regular season schedule will be reduced from 82 games, with most teams scheduled to play 78 or 79 games. There's a small possibility of a team playing a maximum of 83 games based on possible tournament and play-in scenarios, league sources said. For the in-season tournament, the NBA is focused on 30-team participation that begins with a divisional group stage of scheduled regular season games. Those pre-knockout games would be part of the regular season schedule. Six divisional winners based on home and road records in the group stage. And the two teams with the next best records would advance to the single elimination knockout round, Leaks was said. Those teams could each potentially compete in the quarterfinals, semifinals and finals. Hmm. See, you know what? Even saying, even, even trying to think about that, it actually sounds a little bit more enticing now that I've read that. Um, hmm. I think I think it's like I said. I think it's very easy for me as a British person to and as a European to accept this because obviously it's worked in world football. You know why 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 couldn't it work here? And obviously, obviously it's because it's something so brand new and there's no history behind it. Then people won't exactly you know covet it as much. Um, but maybe if there's like an extra incentive, uh, maybe like a buy 
in the uh, in the playoffs, something like that. I don't know. It has to be it has to be a genuine incentive for for people to get into this. And there's also obviously the uh, conversation about um, uh, the uh, the pl- playoff playing, which I am fully into actually in terms of that because obviously at the moment in conferences is uh, eight each. So sixteen, uh, sixteen teams, eight in the Western Conference, eight in the Eastern Conference. So if you had a play-in, uh, let's say for the seventh and eighth seed, right, and you threw in the ninth and tenth seed there, right. So you have them four teams just battling out for, for I don't know, five games, so to speak, right. And then the actual playoffs begin. Then it's obviously seven games up, uh, on top of that. That could work. I think that could work. That could. Um, that could give obviously two more teams, well, four more teams in both conferences. If we're combining both conferences, they would give them more incentive to actually not tank and to not be crap and try and get a draft pick. So that would eliminate a few, uh, a few of the tanking, uh, a bit of the tanking, not all of it. But I think that's a good step in the right direction. And in uh, overall, I think the fact that ideas are being thrown around is also always good. You know, it's always good to throw around ideas and just to see how people think about it. I think American basketball fans are just going to see all of this and just go, yeah, 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 nah, 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 nah. But let's be real. Most people at the moment aren't into the regular season for whatever reason. Now, if I had a regular... Um, if I had a regular source to watch NBA, I'd be watching it every night. That's just, but that's just me, and that's partly because of my location and the fact that I don't, I can't regularly watch the NBA because uh, I don't have BT Sport. I don't know if they still do it over there or well, Sky Sports NBA that claim to show um, mad games, but they only show like I don't know six in a month. It's pretty crap to be honest. So they're obviously not putting in the effort, but maybe that's just because they don't have the audience for it. Maybe there is no audience for it in terms of people watching. Maybe. It all depends on the audience, to be honest, in this case. And the fact that people aren't into the regular season, that is also probably why players, star players, are load managing, quote-unquote, a.k.a. sitting out. You know, this this is a players' league now, and while that's all well and good, um, there are obviously backlashes that come to that, and players have autonomy now. They're like, um, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to chill for a couple of games because I'm, I'm feeling some uh, tightness in my knee or whatever. You know, it's not they, they don't have the incentive as much, and um, as much as they do, it's not like a badge of honor. It's not nobody really cares about playing all eighty-two games anymore. Um, so you know, depending on what you consider a problem. Um, I think that's just needs to be gauged first. What is what do you consider the NBA's problem, and then go from there. But the fact that they bring new ideas is also always good, um, just to test waters. And uh, yeah, I'm 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 pretty confident that the NBA will change in some way in terms of the regular season. And uh, you know, hopefully, it's all for the better. We move on to our second sports topic of the episode, uh, second three, and uh, this is about uh, Colin Kaepernick. And uh, I don't know if I've actually talked about him before. Well, I have obviously talked about him. I've mentioned him before, but I don't think I've mentioned him in this uh, particular case because uh, this is. I mean, this thing. This I, I kind of wanted to read this partly because of the writer instead, um, and also because it's Colin Kaepernick because that's so prevalent right now in American sports. I find it quite. I find the whole thing very fascinating. And uh, kind of relatable in some ways, but uh, this is written by Tanahasi Coates, uh, one of my favourite um, uh, author of uh, Between the World and Me, one of the best uh, books I've ever uh, read, listened to. <laughs> I don't know how to gauge, or, I don't know how to say I listen to audiobooks, and <laughs> I listen to books. You know what I mean? And, and I consider that the same thing, to be completely honest, fundamentally. But um, obviously purists are going to go, no, you're not reading it, no, you're not taking the time, da-da-da, get off my back. But anyway, uh, shout-out to Ta-Nehisi Coates, uh, one of the best writers uh, uh, in the game, and he, talk, he wanted to talk about the cancellation of Colin Kaepernick, this is via the uh, New York Times, and uh, also a little bit about cancel culture and social media and all that stuff, so uh, uh, it's, a, it's a very lengthy piece, um, I won't obviously get into all of it, actually, it's not that it's not that long of a piece, actually. I'm actually getting to all of it, but um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. So let's get into it. 
we're being we are being told of the evils of cancel culture, quote unquote. A new scourge that enforces purity, banishes banishes dissent, and squelches sober uh, and reasoned debate. But cancel culture is not new. A brief accounting of the illustrious and venerable ranks of blocked and dragged Americans encompasses Sarah Good, Elijah Lovejoy, Ida B. Wells, Dalton Trumbo, Paul Robeson, and the Dixie Chicks. Uh, What was the compromise of 1877, which ended Reconstruction, but the cancellation of the Black South? What were the detention camps during World War II, but the racist muting of Japanese Americans and their basic rights? Thus, any sober assessment of this history must conclude that the present objections to cancel culture are not so much concerned with the weapon as the kind of people who now seek to wield it. Until recently, cancellation flowed exclusively downward, from the powerful to the powerless. But now, in this era of falling gatekeepers, where anyone with a Twitter handle or Facebook account can be a publisher, banishment has been ostensibly democratised. Yeah, do I say that democratized yeah I, I see the z and i'm like uh, the z and i'm just like mm, that, that freaks me out uh, it's american spelling uh, this development has uh, occasioned much consternation uh, scarcely a day goes by without america's college students being reproached for rejecting poorly rendered sushi or spurning the defenders defenders of statutory rape speaking as one who has felt the hot wrath uh, wrath of twitter I am not without sympathy for the morally panicked who fear that the kids are not all right. Uh, But it's good to remember that while every generation believes that it invented sex, every preceding generation forgets that it once believed the same thing. Besides, all cancellations are not created equal. Christine Blasey Ford, who accused Brett Kavanaugh at his Supreme Court confirmation hearings of sexual assault, was inundated with death threats forced from her home and driven into hiding. Dave Chappelle, accused of transphobia, collected millions from Netflix for a series of stand-up specials and got his feelings hurt. It would be a nice it would be nice to live in a more forgiving world, where one dissenting from groupthink does not invite exile and people's occasional lapses are not held up as evidence of their of who they are. But if we are to construct such a world, uh, would we do well to leave the slight acts of cancellation affected in the quad and cafe uh, Quad and Cafe, and proceeded uh, to more illustrious offices. The NFL is revered in this country as a paragon of patriotism and chivalry, a sacred trust controlled by some of the wealthiest men and women in America. For the past three years, this sacred trust has executed with brutal efficiency the cancellation of Colin Kaepernick. This is curious given the NFL's moral libertinism. Uh, the league has, at various points, been a home for domestic abusers, child abusers, and open racists. And yet, it seems Mr. Kaepernick's sin, refusing to stand for the national anthem, offends the NFL's suddenly delicate sensibilities. And while the influence of hashtags should not be underestimated, the NFL has a different power at its fingertips, the power of monopoly. Effectively, Mr. Kaepernick's ca- uh, cancellation bars him from making a living at a skill he has been honing since childhood. It is true that he has found gainful employment with Nike, but only so much solace can be taken uh, in this, given that Mr. Kaepernick's op- uh, opponents occupy not just boardrooms and owner boxes, but the White House. Quote, Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners, uh, when somebody disrespects our flag, say, Get that son of a bitch off the field right now, President Trump said. In 2017, the NFL has since dutifully obeyed. Perhaps it is shocking for some to see the President of the United States endorse the, ca- endorse the cancellation of a pro football player, like he endorsed the cancellation of Hillary Clinton and Ilhan Omar. But it is precisely this kind of ca- capricious and biased use of institutional power that has birthed the cancel culture practiced by campus protesters and online. But whereas the wrongdoing of elite institutions was once hidden from public view, in the era of Donald Trump is all there to be seen. The new cancel culture is the product of a generation born into a world without obscuring myth, uh, where the great abuses once only hinted at, suspected or uttered on the street corners uh, are now tweeted out in full colour. Nothing is sacred anymore, and, more important, nothing is legitimate. Least of all, those institutions charged with dispensing justice, and so, justice is seized by the crowd. This is suboptimal. The choice now would seem to be... Uh, between building egalitarian institutions capable of withstanding public scrutiny or further retreat into a dissembling fog. The NFL has chosen the latter option. First, there was the notion of Mr. Kaepernick was not good enough uh, to play in the league. 
When this, when this fiction collapsed under the weight of injury and journeymen pulled off the streets, the NFL conjured up a distraction. Whatever one thinks of Jay-Z's partnership with the league, what it achieved was the replacement of the NFL's commissioner, Roger Goodell, by Jay-Z's headlines. And then last week, there was the rushed tryout, quote-unquote, uh, the details of which are still murky. But what followed was a debate over Mr. Kaepernick's uh, comportment, attire, and what he had to say. The debate helped obscure this central fact. A multi-billion dollar monopoly is, at, his, at this very hour, denying a worker the right to ply his trade and lying about doing so. <laughs> it has been said that Colin Kaepernick missed an opportunity that no matter how crooked the bargain, if he were truly serious about getting a job, he would have acceded to the NFL's demands. But Mr. Kaepernick is not fighting for a job. He is fighting against cancellation. And the struggle is not merely his own. It's the struggle of Major Taylor, Jack Johnson, Craig Hodges and Muhammad Ali. This isn't a fight for employment at any cost. It's a fight for a world where we are not shot or shunned because the masters of capital or their agents uh, do not like our comportment, our attire or what we have to say. So this is a really good piece in terms of just writing, of course. There's a lot of big words which uh, trip me up. Uh, <laughs> libertinism. Oh, God, I've never heard that word before. It's a boss word. But yeah, I think it's, this whole thing is kind of fascinating. And uh, I've seen you know people talk about the tryout and uh, the fact that he should have you know ev- uh, everyone didn't nobody won in that particular in that particular battle there because uh, you know obviously Kaepernick went his own way and you know in 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 modern society we see we see a employer saying to an employee um it's standard that you do these things under our umbrella sure that's only because, and we consider that normal because, because everyone who has that job, in this case, the NFL, uh, being in the NFL, has gone through that particular, uh, particular road. Oh, everyone signed that particular contract. Everyone signed that waiver. Yeah, but this is not the point, is it? The the like like Coach said, it's the point of this isn't about getting a job. Kaepernick ain't struggling, <laughs> you know. What I mean, he's not. He's not. He's not like begging for a job. If he if he was really begging for a job, he'd go to the CFL or you know or do something else. You know, he's 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 an athletic guy. He can do other sports potentially, you know, and he can he can get he can apply his trade somewhere else potentially. Um, this isn't about getting a job in the NFL. It's about trying to make a point about I want to come into this with my dignity still intact and with my messaging still intact but they clearly want to neuter him before they even think about giving him a position anywhere and this clearly has uh, just blown it all out of the water in the fact that they are clearly blackballing him um, teams ha- teams were there at that workout, regardless of the fact that he switched up the location and said, now nah, I'm going here, bon your location. Uh, teams and scouts were there. And nobody gave him, nobody's given him a ring as of this recording. So, um, clearly, like I said, they clearly want him neutered <laughs> before they do anything. They want him to. They, they want him to say like, "Okay, I'm done with all that. I want a job." No, of course, of course, he ain't gonna bow down like that. And to be honest, nobody should. In a perfect world, nobody should. And I think most people are very angry at Kaepernick because he's doing something that I think we all want to do. We all want to. We all want to, like you know, an income and all that kind of stuff. Excuse the plane. We all want that kind of stuff. We all want secure job security and you know and a roof over our head. Da 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 da. Everything that goes with money. But principles should count for something, and we, I think, we regularly have to push those aside and sacrifice our morals or uh, ethos or principle or principalities. Uh, for whatever reason, 
and the fact that Kaepernick isn't doing that and is sticking to his ethos and his morals is a, is a commendable thing. And if he's cool with not being in the NFL, then he's cool with not being in the NFL. And I am cool with him not being the NFL. I mean, fuck the NFL in general, because like like uh, Co said, like they just they take the most they 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 can take the scummiest people after they've like you know after they've admitted you know domestic abusers, sexual abusers, child abusers, white collar criminals as well, you know. This dude just knelt. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, the, and he's the one that has got a job. The hypocrisy is great. The hypocrisy is... <clears throat> tastes so good. It really does. It's bellissimo. Tastes so good. But, yeah. Fuck the NFL. And uh, I think I think people have to remove their sensibilities away from this. Going like, I'm offended because he... If he wants a job, he has to, he has to work for it. We all have to. You know, maybe you didn't try to. <laughs> and maybe you didn't... And, and granted, maybe you didn't have the position to do that. But he's in a position to do that. And he's doing it. And in my mind, I fully commend him for that. Fully applaud him for it. So we move on to film and television. And we are talking about Tyler Perry. So a few, a couple of years ago, I wrote a article um, in the now, I think it's now defunct, uh, Cage Bird magazine. Well, we don't write on there anymore, but um, uh, it's still available for everyone to read if they want to go read it. Uh, but shouts to them, uh, shouts to all the guys there. Well, that were there, and um, yeah. So I've always had a. I've always had a from from a guy from a guy who's you know living in Britain and doesn't watch and hasn't seen the Medea movies or you know all, all that kind of stuff. Um, I've never been really. I've I've never been really understanding of Tyler Perry as a filmmaker and as a uh, as a uh, a person in film because when I see his film, uh, well when I see like clips of his film, I'm just like. Um, that doesn't look right. <laughs> you know, it's not. It's not. I, I, I have nothing really say. Say nothing to say about the Medea films. Like I said, I haven't watched them fully, but from what I've seen, it just looks a bit. It just looks a bit. Um. So, with that said, um, it's it's something that I feel like need. I feel like had to be talked about, but um, I never really. I just had to ask the questions. I couldn't really find particular answers, you know what I mean? Um, but there is an article that I found uh, via the Huffington Post, and um, I read it, and I was like, hallelujah, finally. something, Someone that can break it down for me. Um, so I thought I'd hand it off to hand it off to you guys, because uh, I, feel, I feel like it is very interesting, because um, Tyler Perry's obviously, in the past years, have done has done a lot. He has, you know, the... Tyler Perry Studios, and I talked about that on a in a week where, and um, you know it's a, it's a, it's a cool thing. He's he's done really cool stuff, really amazing things, and real boss moves. But I feel like the ways he's gotten there, and granted, you know, I've had this I've had this thought for a while. You know, if you if you're a billionaire, or well, I don't think he is a billionaire, but if you're you know getting up to billionaire status there's no such thing as a clean billionaire you had to step on some necks to do it you know what i mean you had to step on some shoulders and like kick some people off the ladder to get there so and i'm not saying tyler perry's done that or anything shady from a business perspective but from a creative standpoint and from his films and stuff like that it's just a bit just leaves me with a bad taste in my mouth so let's get into this article uh, quick dilly dallying so this is called The Complicated Significance of Tyler Perry. This is by Taryn Finney of uh, Huffington Post uh, via Black Voices. Uh, yeah, so in early October, Tyler Perry made the <clears throat> made Hollywood yield to the floor, uh, yield the floor to Atlanta for the night. The world watched as Tyler Perry Studios opens his doors to Beyonce, Jay-Z, Oprah, Spike Lee, Ava DuVernay, Samuel Jackson and many other stars. 
Red Carpet greeted the movers and shakers of Black Hollywood as they took their first steps in the studio's house. Twelve sound stages named after icons Diane Carroll, Denzel Washington, Oprah, Halle Berry, Sidney Poitier, Della Reese, Spike Lee, Harry Belafonte, Cecily Tyson, Whoopi Goldberg and Will Smith. It also features a replica of the White House. Perry even uh, dedicated plaques to stars and a walk of fame to several actors in the previous in his previous projects. Actors who rarely get their due uh, due credit from other Hollywood bigwigs. The opening was nothing short of an ode to black excellence. It was poetic. It was historic. Perry did what he said he would. He didn't wait for a seat. He bu- he built a table, one three hundred thirty acres in measure on the land where Fort McPherson, a former military base, once was. He became the first black person to outright own a major film studio lot. It's located near Georgia State Route 166, the highway exit where he used to sleep in his car when he was homeless and hustling to break into the industry, and it's big enough to fit Disney, Paramount, and Warner Brothers Studios combined. The opening of Tyler Perry Studios feels like a bright beginning to a new era in black cinema and television. Of course, networks like BET, TV1, OWN, Oprah Winfrey Network, and Bounce have long created platforms for black productions on TV. For decades, there have been occasional surges in widespread interest around black-centered productions. It happened in the 90s with romantic comedies like Poetic Justice and Boomerang, coming-of-age films like Boys in the Hood and The Wood, uh, and TV sitcoms like Martin and the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Now, change is happening on another level. Black creators are getting a bit more control over their projects and pushing Hollywood players towards more uh, towards a more equitable industry. More filmmakers and producers are con- making concerted efforts to bring new talent into the fold and speak out about the need for inclusion at every level. Directors like Lee, John Singleton and others did much of this foundational work early in their careers, progression in the form of inclusion riders, pay equity and creating our own opportunity- opportunities at the scale of Tyler Perry Studios are the fruits of their labour. But progress is far from linear. While many people on social media celebrated Perry's big moment, others criticised the on-screen narratives that helped him become one of the most influential men in Hollywood. His legacy building his empire is beyond admirable and so necessary, but much of the content and quality of his work quite frankly isn't. The characters and storylines in his films have been criticised as one-dimensional at best and regressive at worst. Critics have pointed uh, specifically to the portrayals of black women in his films as stereotypical. Much of that heat has been directed at one of his most lucrative characters, a character he assumed for about 20 years when he suited up in a dress, fat suit, wig, cigarette and gun, Medea. Perry's path to Hollywood began with a journal full of letters to himself. Those letters became his first play, 1992's I Know I've Been Changed. A story about survivors uh, of a child abuse in which he played the main character. He poured all his money into giving the show life. He planned for an audience but only uh, performed for mostly empty seats. His investment led to his eviction and subsequent homelessness. Six years after his debut, however, however, his play was selling out venues because, and he was gearing up for a tour that ran for two years. Success of the first production propelled his second play, I Can Do Bad All By Myself, which featured Mabel Medea Simmons. The birth of the pistol-toting, foul-mouthed grandma, played by the producer himself, was prominent in many of his productions and based on the women in his own life, including his mother and aunt. The character undoubtedly uh, helped build his loyal fan base and launch Perry into a league of his own. In March, Forbes reported that Medea fran- the Medea franchise has made a five- <laughs> $523 million at the box office domestically. So this is the thing, like I, like I feel, I feel like I can't relate, I guess. And uh, I have, I have heard some people, um, as black Amer- as African Americans, I uh, know, have said like they know people that act like Medea, you know, in terms of being foul-mouthed grandmother and stuff like that. So, you know, it's not exactly cartoonish, but for me, it's cartoonish. It seems cartoonish, but for some people, it doesn't. And that's kind of where the problem goes. Uh, that's why kind of where the friction comes in but anyway i'll continue on uh, the next part of the next part of the thing in his 2013 film temptation the adulterous judith played by journey smollett bell is diagnosed diagnosed with hiv she becomes a drug addict ages excessively and gains a limp all ridiculous plot devices as punishment for cheating on her husband in 2018's acrimony starring taraji b henson the storyline brushes past protagonist Melinda's uh, mental illness and paints her as a ride-or-die wife who loses everything for a man, only for her to attempt to kill his new lover when she finds success and riches after their divorce. 
Oh boy, Carmen said Madrid Perry's work leans on a male saviour complex. Quote, one cannot ignore how he built his fortune in a lot of ways on the backs of narratives that exploit women's suffering, that offer up narratives of abuse and suffering when he could be, could have been offering up narratives of thriving and success and leadership and something that is really whole and contributory uh, and authentic. See, that's something that I see, you know, I, I didn't see acrimony, but uh, I saw readings of it uh, in terms of, like reviews and stuff, and I was like, mm, you know, the, and, and it's not, and that's not the, that's not the only, those two aren't the only ones as well. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of work that Perry's done for, you know, for with black lead, uh, black women leads, but it's just like so, uh, it's just so herky jerky. It's just like, mm, doesn't sit right again. This is why it's so, that's why this whole thing is a bit odd. Uh, in late October, Perry premiered two sh- two new shows on BET, Sisters and The Oval. Uh, both are underwhelming so far. Sisters re- revolves around four black women who share struggles in navigating love and dating. The show seemingly hopes to be in the spirit of living single, girlfriends and insecure. However, it misses the mark in its quality. The themes explored like dating, sisterhood and healthy relationships for millennial black women have uh, have promise, yet the script often feels heavy-handed and the production is inconsistent. One cringeworthy example is when one of the leading ladies go to sleep with bundles and wake up and wakes up with micro uh, Fulani braids. Even if it was meant to translate uh, translate as a braided wig, it was bad. The Oval follows the first family and their staff beyond politics into the and into their personal lives. The show feels like it's trying extremely hard to fill the void of Shonda Rhimes' scandal. Yeah, that's kind of where I that's kind of where I got that feeling. And and again, most people get that feeling, so um you know, I'm I'm just trying to I'm just trying to like, you know, lock this down because there's a lot of eh here, but um in terms of like what he creates, you know? Uh, and I don't feel like I'm getting a real, real lockdown here. But anyway, let's, let's continue on to the last few paragraphs here. Despite the questionable quality of these uh, recent productions, Tyler Perry Studios shows uh, great shows great promise to create opportunities for not only black people in front and behind the camera, but also the city of Atlanta. Since the studios opened, Perry has expressed a desire to use his studios as a hub for build, for building community. Outside of the film and the production process, he's planning on using parts of the massive space to help others. He plans on building a compound of its studios for trafficked women, girls and homeless women, LGBTQ youth who are put out and displaced somewhere on these 333 ac- 330 acres uh, where they're trained in business, uh, in the business and they become self-sufficient, he told CBS this morning. Uh, he's putting his studios to some damn use. You can hold his feet to the fire uh, and want him to do well at the same time because the whole principle is do better. I just need you to do better. And we'll, and here we'll help you by identifying the ways and areas you can do better, Coleman said. And, also, and so pay equity would be one, representation would be one, the narrative is about women, that's a principle one, because it's a great opportunity for him and you want him to get it right. It's a great opportunity, perhaps, for Atlanta, and you might want him to get it right. <sighs> See, I kind of feel underwhelmed by this, <laughs> by this particular article now, because I feel like it would um, help me, I don't know, lock down my feeling of uh, Tyler Perry, but I guess that's the whole point, really, isn't it? The fact that I can't, and the fact that most people can't. Um, sure, but he has the studios, and you know he has big plans for it, and that's great, it's amazing, it's fucking legendary, actually, but... Um, I guess the works that have been the foundation of it, I guess, I don't know how many people, you know, take those, uh, take his films as seriously as they kind of, they are portrayed to be, um, the, the, the ones with, uh, the, the, you know, damaged women, they, most of them seem serious, uh, but then for stuff like Medea, obviously that borders on coonery, and some people have called it coonery. Um, I think I think it's funny that Spike Lee actually has a studio when he's actually criticised uh, Tyler Perry in, rec- in uh, recent years. So I, I guess with that said, it's just um, I guess it's something that you just have to be. You can you can have you can be on both sides of it, and I guess I'm just going to be on the fence uh, as it pertains to Tyler Perry. And uh, I don't know about you guys. You probably don't care, but it's kind of, I just find it. I just find this all fascinating that I can't. 
I don't think anybody can really just nail down this dude in terms of like, is this dude positive or negative or what? It's a bit weird, but shout out to Tyler Perry for the studios. It's uh, it, it does look super clean and uh, it's obviously a, like I said, but maybe like top five boss move of the decade. We'll move on to our final topic of this episode and it's the last sport uh, sports uh, topic and it's uh, sports personality of the year time ladies and gentlemen yay um, for those who know me they know that I'm super into this uh, I always I always wait I always enjoy um, just waiting for December like mid-December so I can you know get into this and uh, I love I love sports personality of the year obviously the concept is a bit uh, is a bit eh because do you, I don't know, obviously it's a public vote and it's, a, you know, by people phoning in and stuff like that. Um, it's completely for the people, but people have different definitions of what a sports personality of the year means, you know what I mean? Are we talking about sporting achievement or are we talking about personalities, which is obviously in the freaking name? So, you know, no, no, sometimes that doesn't go hand in hand. Sometimes it's, you know, you can have someone that's just like has zero personality but they're dominating their sport. So do they deserve to be on there in the list in the first place? Or do they deserve to win it whole outright? You know what I mean? So it's a, it's, it's a very it's a very wonky uh, way of looking at it. But I, honestly, I'll change the name to be completely honest. Uh, but obviously, it's been going on for mad years now. It's probably for about since the 60s, I think. So you know, they're not going to change the bloody name now. But um, yeah, we have six contenders for the main award. Um, and obviously, I talked about um, obviously I talked about the uh, young uh, sports personality year, which has already been announced. Uh, but obviously, this is the main one, and it's actually good that we have six actually, because usually it's always, um, especially in Olympic years, like ten or twelve is an absurd number. But this year is about six, and um, you know, I think it's a good six. It's, it's a solid six. Um, some people think uh, someone like uh, Jonathan Ray, who does a, um, I think he's a World Superbikes, is uh, uh, in that. I think if, uh, some people think he got snubbed. And, you know, there's always, there's always snubs you could think of. I can think of a few. Probably Adam Peaty, actually. The fact he's in here is actually quite fascinating. Um, maybe one of the gymnasts uh, from uh, GB Gymnastics, maybe. But, yeah, even with that said, I think six is solid and a solid number. And this is a good six. Uh, very, very high quality six. So let's get into this, and, uh, and I'll give you my uh, thoughts on it um, as I go. So the first one, Dina Asher Smith, 23, athletics, first British woman to win major global sprint title, where she claimed 200 meter gold in a new national record time of 21.88 seconds. Also picked up silver medals in the 100 and 4 by 100. Um, so you know me, Queen Dina. Uh, all hail to Queen Dina. She is queen of our sovereignty, um, and. You know, out of her and the next person, I think that's who I have to win it, to be completely honest. So, you know, I've kind of spoiled it, but um, that's kind of where I see it. I think she's absolutely amazing. Uh, I think she's only getting started as well. Um, I generally think she can get... Uh, I, I generally think she can get the double next year. Um, the fact she has, you know, a golden 200 and nearly got the... got so close to the golden 100. It was really, really close. Uh, I one good race are all it takes and uh, I think she can really get the double and uh, if if the other women in the 4 by one can uh, upgrade themselves as well I think it's a genuine possibility but um, considering that Jamaica and the US are one of them are always at least one of them are always OP and that's kind of a big that's a generally big ask but um, the fact that you know they've gone silver in the past few years so you never know never know and especially in relay you never know but uh, in this case in this year Dean has been absolutely amazing, and uh, I think a golden, a world gold at 23 is a remarkable achievement. Like like I said, here you know, first British woman to claim a major global sprint title. So of all the the amount of women we have had in uh, athletics in the past few years, you know, it's just in 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 past decades as well. We've had golden ages before, but I think really this is truly a another golden age here, and Dean is leading that. But anyway. Uh, next one is Lewis Hamilton, 34, Formula 1. Formula 1 world champion for the sixth time behind Mark Schumacher's record. Mercedes driver has won half of this season's races. An overall career tally of 83 Grand Prix victories is now just eight off Schumacher's all-time record total. So, um, now this is more about 
so what are we going for here? So this is how this is how it can get a bit, eh, you know what I mean? It gets stuck in the weeds a bit. So am I going for Dina Asher-Smith, who has done something that no other British woman has done ever? Or are we picking a guy who is who has been consistently dominant in his sport for a stupid amount of time? For nearly 10 years now, he's been top-notch and has no signs of slowing down. So what do you want to go for? Do you want to go for the his- history maker? But then again, Lewis is also a history maker. So it's it's very hard. It's very hard for me for to pick, to be honest. I hope one of them win. Um, I'll be pissed if none of, none of the two win. Uh, but if this one, if this person wins next one, I wouldn't be too angry about it. Uh, Katarina Johnson-Thompson, 26 Athletics, finally got the global outdoor goal she craved by winning the heptathlon at the World Athletics Championship, set four personal bests as her points tally broke Dame Jessica Ennis's, Ennis Hill's uh, British record. So, you know, for Johnson-Thompson, it's been obviously a lot of time. Uh, it's been a few, it's been a real few years of just um, kind of heartache as well. The fact she hasn't got a gold until now. She could have easily gotten it in the past couple of years. She's been at the top. Uh, she's been the top two, top three most of the time, and she's just always been pipped. Um, but the heptathlon she had uh, this year was absolutely amazing to watch, and uh, you know, just seemed like a. It just seemed like destiny in some way. Um, so I wouldn't be mad if she if she won it. Um, she is a you know from personality wise, she is a great person and. Uh, it's always uh, fun to watch interview, and it's the same with Dina and Lewis as well. Uh, Lewis is obviously more calm and collected when it comes to interviews. Dina's a, a very bubbly person, and that's a, always makes you smile when watching. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's, a, it's 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 a worthy pick for for sure. Alan Wynne Jones, 34 Kid Rugby Union, captain Wales to Grand Slam victory and was named Six Nations Player of the Championship, became his country's most capped player at Rugby World Cup. And is second only to New Zealand's Richie McCaw for international appearances. So, I mean, this is partly because I don't watch rugby. Um, and same for the uh, last person here in terms of watching. Um, I don't know. Um, the fact that he's a captain and it's obviously rugby. And um, I don't really know how long rugby careers go for. And I don't know if he's like really stretched out. Obviously, most cap player at the World uh, uh, his country's most capped player is obviously something very notable for any sport. Um, and from the one or two games I've watched <laughs> of Wales in the past few years, uh, he's always been there and uh, seems like a genuine captain of his side. So, uh, you know, I can, I can, you know, I can imagine all of these people winning. That's kind of what's good about this finalist list. Uh, the fact you can see him all winning, but um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, Six Nations... Sure, um, but if if they won the World Cup, then that'll be a then 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 we'd be talking. But um, you know, Six Nations World Cup. I don't know. I'm not a rugby buff, so I don't know if um, Six Nations is like you know high on the echelon. But World Cup sounds a little bit more important, and uh, the fact that they didn't win it, I don't know. I I don't know. You know, just just how just how I'm thinking about it. But I may be wrong. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, Raheem Sterling, 24 football, one domestic treble of the Premier of Premier League, FA Cup and Carabao Cup with Manchester City. Ingerstar named as Football Writers Association Football Footballer of the Year, was also praised for his public stance against racism. Now, now we're adding something different here. So this is not just the fact that he his team was OP and he was OP this year. It's also the fact that he did some good stuff outside. Obviously, talking about racism in football constantly, and you know just smiling in the faces of racists as well you know we've talked about it here on the show so that's a worthy thing to talk about and it's a worthy reason to give him this award so you know I don't see people voting for him because reasons um but I can you know again I can I would be mad at that I would not be mad at that and if he does win that'll be a great message an amazing message to uh uh, to to everyone who watches football and actually consumes football. Uh, and the last one, Ben Stokes Cricket 28, uh, helped England win the Cricket World Cup for the first time with a dramatic, uh, dramatic super over victory against New Zealand at Lords and made a remarkable unbeaten 135 in the one wicket third Ashes Test triumph against Australia at Headingley. So that's two right there. So that's the Ashes and Cricket World Cup. So, um, you know, again... I can see that. 
I personally wouldn't pick Ben Stokes because I don't watch cricket. Um, but from how people were talking about it when it was happening, you know, cricket cricket doesn't really hit my TL that often, but it really hit my TL. Uh, and that was actually kind of surprising. So, um, you know, maybe just because it, you know, stuck a pin in my echo chamber and actually got in somehow, I mean, that's, that's kind of what has to be worth something, right? But, yeah, personally for me, I would go either Dina or Lewis. Um, you know, as a personality, they're both great, in my opinion. As uh, sports people, they're obviously at the top of their game. Uh, for Lewis more so, as a future GOAT. And uh, Dina, anyway, has <laughs> been is, is already in, like, a... She's already in the pantheon already. She's only 23, like I said. Like I said, she's just skin tired, so... Um, I'm excited to see what happens, and uh, obviously there's more awards, there's like Great Sporting Moment, uh, Helen Rollison Award, Dance and Hero, Coach of the Year, Team of the Year, Lifetime Achievement, and that's all going to be good to watch, but um, yeah man, that's going to be very interesting, and ladies and gentlemen, with that said, we're going to end it there, that's been What's Good, hope you guys have enjoyed this episode, let me know who you've got for Sports Personality of the Year, if you actually care about that kind of stuff, or, or if you care about uh, what happens in the NBA, or, or if you have an opinion on Tyler Perry, please give me an opinion on Tyler Perry, because I'm with... I'm always interested in that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, from the Fifth Podcast Network, I've been Charlie Taylor, and this has been What's Good. Uh, intro music is Too Much by Vanilla. Uh, in, uh, interlude music is Vista by Poldor. You can find both of their music uh, via Bandcamp in the description uh, below. You can also find your uh, records. Shout out to them who uh, give me the ability to use this music. You can also find their profile via Bandcamp in the description below. And yes, apart from that, I'm going to go try and sleep tonight <laughs> and get my voice back. It's been a bit croaky today, but it's all good. It's all good. I'm, I'm, I'm cool. Don't you worry about me. Have a good week, everybody. I should always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.